Well, good morning. I'm excited to be with you guys this morning, especially as we jump into a brand new series. The series' working title is Life is a Battlefield. And when I say that, uh, I want to kind of unpack it a little bit, because when I say life is a battlefield, some of you guys are like, amen, brother. You should have seen me trying to get the kids ready for church this morning. That's why we're still at home right? Or or man, maybe you saw my last week at work. You absolutely know life is a battlefield. Well, yes, that's true. And yeah, uh, life is hard sometimes, but really and truly what we're going to zero in on this series is the reality of spiritual warfare and what that looks like and what it can look like and what your role is in the middle of it, what my role is in the middle of it and and start to flesh some of those things out. So I'm really excited about that. But first I want to do this. I said spiritual warfare and some of you had preconceived ideas already. So when I do that, when I say the term spiritual warfare, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Just kind of sit in it for a second. When I say spiritual warfare, what's the first thing that pops up? Maybe you've heard it before and you get this picture of angels and demons and these big battles in, in a different realm that, that we're not privy to. Maybe that's what you think when you hear spiritual warfare. Or maybe you think it's something that's simple and understandable as the picture that we get uh, in movies, right? Of the little angel on one shoulder and the little devil on the other shoulder. And they're just kind of having a conversation trying to win your heart over or, or win your mind over. Maybe that's what you think when you think spiritual warfare. Uh, but here's what I know. I know that if for us as Christians, and for us as a society, the term spiritual, and really the term Christian, has been hijacked, right? It's been taken over, and spiritual can mean a lot of different things in today's culture. And to be a Christian can mean a lot of different things in the American culture, right? It can be this thing you're assimilated into. And so what I want to do in this series, what I want to do this morning as we start this series, is maybe define some of those terms, right? Put a handle on some of those things as we start to unpack them so we can start to see what they are. Because here's what's happened. As, as culture, or as the church has left us ignorant, right, as, as we have not talked about some of these things, culture has filled in some of those gaps. And so what we don't want to do with these conversations, uh, especially the seemingly big ones like this, right, is stray away from them or not talk about them. And so that's the heart behind this series, is that we dive into the reality of some of the stuff we call spiritual warfare. And we talk about uh, some of the things that are implied for us as Christians in this conversation. So I'm excited about that. I'm excited to have these conversations. I'm excited to unpack some of this stuff over the course of the next couple of weeks. But to do that, in order to really get a good picture of what it looks like to to engage in, to define some of these terms, we're going to do the obvious thing. We're going to go to God's Word, and we're going to see what God's Word says about some of these terms that maybe are a little bit ambiguous to us, or maybe don't have clear definitions for us. But I want to say this. The Bible does inform us about a lot of this stuff that we talk about when we say spiritual warfare, whether that's uh, when you open your Bible to 2 Kings and you see uh, Elijah telling his servant, man, there's, there's an army of chariots, and you're not going to see them unless God opens your eyes, and he does, and he sees all these different things that are happening in a different realm. Or, or maybe it's Jesus. When you see him interacting with his disciples and he says, man, listen, I'm going to cast out demons and you guys are going to do some of that too. Or maybe it's just this everyday battle in Ephesians chapter six where Paul says, hey church, here's the deal. You guys are engaged in a battle whether you can see it or not. Whether you can see these things happening around you, you are a part of a battle, and so we're going to unpack that. So your Bible doesn't shy away from the conversation of spiritual warfare. It's not this mystic and made-up thing. It's a very real and tangible thing that we as Christians have to understand and have to step into in many ways. And so I'm excited to do that, but specifically, we are going to spend our time in Ephesians chapter 6 because I think Paul uh, does a phenomenal job of unpacking and putting a handle on some of this stuff that maybe is a little bit unfamiliar to us. So if you have your Bible this morning, 
morning. Uh, I want to give you a second to go ahead and do that, but I also want to let you know if you don't, that's totally okay. Uh, we'll have that up here on the screen with me. Uh, but where we're going to start is we're going to start right there in Ephesians chapter 6, and we're really just going to be looking at three key verses today. We're going to be in verses 10 through 12. Verse 10, verse 11, and verse 12. And we're going to see some of what Paul says as he unpacks uh, what this spiritual warfare thing is, what this battle that's being waged is all about. So let's do that. Let's look at that. Verse 10, he says this, Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. Man, so there's Paul's like, hey, here's the deal. Like there's a battle being waged and, and, and here's who it's against. And I love this. There's three, three big things right on the front end that he tells us that he informs us of as he's having this conversation with this church in Ephesus. The first thing that I want us to know is that this is a letter to a church in Ephesus. Paul is writing this to Christians. Right? He's saying, hey, Christians, here's the deal. There's a battle. Life is a battlefield. There's a battle being waged, and you've got a role in this. And, and I want to let you Christians know, man, here's the role that you've got. There, there's an enemy at hand. There's a role that you have to play in how this battle unfolds. That's the first thing he shows us, man, there's a battle that's happening. The second thing to make note of uh, is that, yes, there's a battle at hand, and it's for you Christians to be able to acknowledge and to be able to wrestle in, uh, in your own way, in the way that God has called you to do that, right? So he says, yes, absolutely, Christians, this battle, it's for you, and as a matter of fact, don't shy away from the reality that uh, this battle is at hand and that you have roles in it. And then the third thing that he tells them is that it's true whether they like it or not. Whether you like it or not, Christian, you are in the middle of this battle, which is, which is maybe an overwhelming thing or, or maybe not overwhelming at all. And maybe that's why you've been skeptical about spiritual warfare because you've, you've been doing this Christianity thing for a while and, and you've signed up to be a Christian for a long time, but you, you maybe have never seen that battle. You maybe never been a part of that battle. And so what I want to let you know is, is that whether we like it or not, whether we acknowledge or not, Paul's telling the church at Ephesus, there is a battle at hand and you've got a role in that battle. And so the same thing is true for you and me. Some things that we read throughout scripture have not changed, and this is one of them, that there is a spiritual battle, and you and I have a role in that battle. And so as we unpack some of this, I love this because uh, Paul starts to give us a glimpse of that. And he, he starts to give us a glimpse of what that battle looks like, yes, but also what our role is in that battle. And, and of all the people who understand the terminology they're using here, I, I love it from Paul because here's what's happening in Paul's life. Paul is in prison and it's likely that when he gets those free minutes, he's actually attached to a Roman soldier. And so Paul, as a Roman citizen, is attached to a Roman soldier. He's familiar with the culture. He's familiar with the military tactics. And so when he uses that language and he says, hey, put on the full armor of God in verse 11, he knows exactly what he's saying. He's saying, man, we've got to protect ourselves. Why? So that we can withstand the schemes of the devil. Now, I know a lot of this stuff can be polarizing, and this is where uh, some of you lean in maybe a little more heavy than you should, and some of you start to kind of tune me out and say, man, I'm not sure about any of that stuff. I'm not, I'm not sure that stuff is for me, but I'm going to ask that you stick with me because I think Paul does a phenomenal job of explaining, even on a basic level, just what's happening and just what our obligation is in the middle of that. But the first thing he says in verse 10, right? as he kind of lays the foundation for these big words and, the, and these mysterious things that, that we sometimes don't like to talk about or sometimes are really unsure of, or like I said, maybe like to talk about too much. The first thing he says in verse 10 
is this. He says, finally, be strengthened by the Lord and his vast strength. Now remember, uh, he just ended up saying, man, there are schemes of the devil and that is the reason we're putting on the armor of God. But he prefaces that by saying, man, first what you need to do is you need to be strengthened. Right, right. You need to not just be strong, but you need to continuously be strengthened and understand how to be strengthened because you have to know your opposition. Right, The person that he's talking about, he gives, he gives some ambiguous language, but when you look out in scripture, you see, man, Satan is the father of lies. He's a lion who's looking to go around and devour anyone who looks like easy prey. Right, And so there's an opposition, absolutely. And he's got a goal, he's got an agenda, agenda, and he has a character. And Paul's saying, hey, here's how we fight the opposition. The first way that we fight the opposition is we remind ourselves that our strength comes from God. Now, as Christians, what does that mean? Do I just get to tap into God and say, God, I need strength right now. Give me some supernatural strength for these supernatural battles. Or what does that look like? Maybe, but really and truly what I think Paul's getting at here is he's telling the church at Ephesus, guys, remember your position, right? You have an enemy, you have an opposition and, and he's got an agenda, he's got a character, he's got a plan and his plan is to make sure that you don't succeed with the advancing of the gospel, that you don't succeed in your own spiritual life. But here's the reality, guys, you need to remember that your strength from, comes from God and here is God's character. God is holy. God is above all of these other spiritual forces. And what does that mean for you? That when he sent Jesus, he defeated death. He conquered the grave. He has authority over these dark spiritual principalities. There, there are not a, there's not a rivalry going on in heaven where there's this back and forth tug. No, that's not how this works. Jesus is absolutely 100% in authority over all of these things. In fact, when you look in the book of Job, how does that conversation unfold? It's Job looking at God saying, God, I know I'm not gonna be able to do anything without your permission. So before I can do anything, I need, I need to make sure that you're, you're on board with that. You have to be okay with that because I can't go unless you allow me to go because here's the deal, you are an authority over me. And so for Paul to say, Ephesus, church, remember where you draw your strength from. What he's saying is, guys, remember, you are seated in the heavenly realms with Christ. He has bought you. He has called you his own. You are an adopted son of the king, a daughter of the king. Man, you are seated with him. And so when it comes to the spiritual battle, don't forget that. Yeah, there's gonna be days where you wage war and there's gonna be days where it seems like sometimes you're winning the battle and sometimes you're losing the battle. But the place you draw strength from is what you already know to be true, that God has called you his own and that as his child, he has authority over all of these different things. So Paul says, man, first thing you need to do is draw strength, twofold objective here. Understand that your strength comes from God and then the second thing is remembering to rely on those truths about God because those truths are what you're gonna be able to use to combat the lies of the opposition, to be able to combat the father of lies as he starts to tell you, you're not valuable, you're not worth it, you can't do this, and he starts to throw those things your way. But I love it because Paul keeps going, right? He gets done with verse 10, he says, hey, draw your strength, be strengthened by God, continuously tell yourself these truths about the gospel, but then put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. Second thing he tells him is stand firm. And I love this because remember, Paul has this really good picture of the Roman militia, right? He knows exactly how the Roman military operates. He knows how those soldiers operate. And what he knows about them is that they don't retreat, 
In fact, what he knows to be true of the Roman armies is that when they are fighting an opponent, what they'll do is they will stand firm, but they will not just stand firm in isolation. They will stand firm with each other. And so he understands Ephesus has a great picture of how the Roman military operates as well. And he says, guys, just like you see them in battle, standing firm on the things that they know to be true, you have got to stand firm on what you know to be true about who's fighting for you. And I love that because it's such a phenomenal picture of how Christian community works, right? It's it's this phenomenal picture of those moments and those seasons where you can tell yourself God's truths, but you can still feel overwhelmed. And sometimes you just need that person next to you who's coming alongside of you, standing with you in the gap to say, hey man, I I know it's tough right now. I know it's hard, but I'm standing with you and I'm going to help pull you out of the reality that you're listening to some of those lies and you just need to keep hearing God's truth that you're in the middle of that battle and you feel like you're losing, but God's truth has said, no, there's not this ambiguous decision coming at the end, but the reality is that God is the victor in the end and you need to lean into that. That's the beauty of Paul's analogy here. He says, stand, but remember, I'm not just writing this to one of you, I'm writing this to all of you. Don't just stand by yourself, don't stand in isolation. It's easy to get picked off in isolation, but stand firm with each other. When we can stand firm with each other, we're gonna be able to watch Christian community do exactly what it's supposed to do. Yes, you as an individual, you're gonna put on the full armor of God, but the person next to you is gonna do that too so that when you forget, when you mess up, when you, when you have these moments of doubt and fear that creep in and you forget who you are as a child of the king, that person can come alongside of you and remind you. Such a phenomenal picture of how Christian community is supposed to operate. And then Paul reminds us of kind of this last thing, right? He says, hey, but here's the deal. Yes, I need you to get strength. Yes, I need you to stand firm. Yes, I need you to put on the full armor of God, but I also need you to know who your opposition is. You need to know just who it is that's fighting against you. Do all this. Be strengthened. Stand together. Put on the armor of God. Why? So that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of darkness, against evil and spiritual forces in heaven. Paul says, hey, here's why we're doing this. Because we know who our opponent is. We know what he's like. We know what his objective is. Sometimes his plans look a little bit different in situation to situation, but at the end of the day, we know who's got a tactic. And it's going to make you to feel, it's going to, it's going to be to make you feel less valuable and tell you lies that combat God's truth. He says, hey, you got to know your enemy in this battle. That's why we're putting on the armor of God, because we do know who our enemy is. That's why I'm asking you to stand strong in community, because we know who our enemy is. And that's why I'm asking you to draw strength from God, not from yourself, because we know our God is bigger than our enemy. But here's the reality as Christians, because yes, we have in this conversation a big enemy, but we really and truly in our Christian lives, we have three enemies. Three, three pretty commonplace enemies that show up and rear their ugly heads in the day in and day out. And the first one is the person watching the screen right now. It's the person talking to the camera right now, right? The, the first enemy that I have in my own life is me. <clears throat> the first place that often I have to look and say, why, why am I deciding to make these choices? Why am I choosing not to honor my spouse in this moment? Why am I so short-sighted and, and getting so frustrated so easily in these moments? Well, that's because I'm still living in this broken and sinful body, right? Our biggest enemy right out the gate usually is just ourselves. And until we're with Jesus and we have glorified bodies and sin is not having its effect on us, that's going to be the case. And so the reality is, yes, the the opposition is real. Satan has a plan, but here's some of the schemes that Satan usually uses is to remind you or, or use yourself against you. 
right? Remind you that, man, he's got these things that he struggles with, and I'm just going to keep introducing those things over and over and over again so that I don't have to be his downfall, so that he or she can be their own downfall. So that's the first thing we have to recognize, that we are oftentimes our biggest first enemy. The second thing, the world, right? Now, now here's, here's what I don't mean when I say the world. I want to be super clear here. I'm not talking about people, right? I'm not talking about the other political party. I'm not talking about that family that you're like, I really don't want my kids around that family. That's not who I'm talking about when I say the world. When I say the world, I mean ideologies. I mean sinful things that, that stand alone, not people. People are not the problem. People are the prize of Christ, right? And sometimes they adopt these ideologies, and sometimes they adopt these ways of thinking, uh, but those are the things we should be combating, not the people themselves. People are the prize of Christ. And so, yes, sometimes, like I said earlier, where we have ignorance, the world will feed us and try to fill those gaps. That's what we have to combat against. We have to understand that Satan is active, and he is constantly trying to use the world to have us fall and be tempted and, and succumb to sin in our lives, right? And so when I say the world, I don't mean people. People are the prize of Christ. Those are the goal. Those are the mission. What I mean, oftentimes, even for us as Christians, are those gaps that get filled by what culture says is right, by what culture says is true, by those ideologies that are in contrast to what we see as a biblical worldview when we open our Bibles, right? That's the reality. Those are two of our big enemies. And then the third one, our third biggest enemy here in this conversation is exactly what Paul says, the devil, Satan, right? Withstanding the schemes that he and his army have coming our way. He actually ends his second letter uh, this way. He says, pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all saints. Pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. I love that, right? Because we just said the victory has already been won by Jesus. And so if the devil is one of our enemies, what is his goal? Paul's saying the goal of the devil is not to send you from positionally going from heaven to hell. The goal of the devil is to make sure that as you have conversations, you aren't a factor in anybody else's eternal reality changing. He wants you to sit idly where you are. He wants you to succumb to sin, make you feel less valuable so that the gospel does not advance. And Paul, at the end of this little section of his letter, he says, hey, Here's why I'm asking you guys to pray for me. Here's why I'm asking you guys to equip yourselves because no, the devil doesn't have authority over me, but yes, he's still active in trying to stop the spread and advancement of the gospel because he knows that the minute somebody understands that Jesus has paid everything for them and they step into a relationship with that, he's lost his grip on them. And so for us as Christians, that's our goal, right? People are the prize. We want to see people go from death to life, from lost to found. And one of the best schemes of the devil is to make sure that we're wildly inactive in that process. That we're so busy with our idle hands and these distractions and everything else that we have going on in life that we're so occupied by sin that we don't step into gospel conversations and the gospel never advances. And so yes, we have an enemy. We have an opposition. He's real and he's tangible. No, as a Christian, he will not change your position, but he will absolutely do everything in his power to make sure that you don't change anybody else's position or have a role in that process at all. So as we do this, as we unpack this, that's what we need to understand. He's got schemes. His schemes are not going to be to change your position in heaven. His schemes, generally speaking, are going to be to make sure that you don't have a role in watching anybody else go from death to life because of how occupied you are with sin and your own brokenness. 
And so as we wrap this up, as we end this conversation today, I want you to know those three enemies. I want you to understand, yes, we do have a spiritual battle that's going on all around us, and we have a role that we have to play in that process. And we're going to unpack some of those nuances throughout the next couple of weeks, and we're going to get into uh, some of those details over the course of the next couple of weeks. But the first thing we wanted you to know on the front end is, yes, this stuff is absolutely 100% real. You have three enemies, and, and generally speaking, that last enemy speaks into those first two and leaves those roadblocks for the first two. And so what we need to do is understand our role in that process. We need to understand where our strength comes from. We need to draw the strength from God, understand, believe, and remember our position, and fight against those schemes, knowing that he's the father of lies and that he wants things in opposition to what God wants. And the best way we can combat that is through understanding of the truths of Scripture, praying and interceding for that family that's next to us, right? The, the one that's standing but struggling and fighting these battles so that the gospel can advance. So I want to leave you guys with a question as we kind of round this out because it's not enough to just know that there's a battle. It's not enough to just know that you're a part of the battle whether you like it or not. Everyone is in the battle. The question is, are you engaged? Are you engaged in the reality that there's an opposition that wants to see you fail and then if you're inactive, you're already right where he wants you to be. Are you engaged in the reality that your highest calling is to worship God and watch him get worship and the best way he gets worship is watching other people worship alongside you? Are you engaged in that calling that he's put you in, that he has put on your life? Or are you unmoved and unused? Be challenged by that. Chew on that. Talk about that as a family this week, as you and your spouse sit down, as you and your friends sit down. Sit together and ask yourself those hard questions. Am I doing what God has called me to do, or am I right where I'm supposed to be on the sidelines of this battle, right where the opposition wants me? Let's chew on that. Let's challenge each other together, and then let's look forward to the next couple of weeks as we get to unpack what some of that looks like as we start to engage in the battle and fight the way God wants us to fight. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for uh, Paul and the realities of the truths in your scripture and, and what they mean for us, God. I pray that uh, this morning as we hear this, God, later in the week, whenever we're listening to this, that we would be changed uh, and that we would be moved by the truth that's in your word. God, I pray that we would fight these battles the way that you want us to fight them. God, I pray that Christians would come alongside Christians and that we would be strengthened by you, your truths, your reality, and who you are as Christ living in us. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name, amen.